you guys can grab a seat. Uh, if you're joining us from your living room, maybe you were seated already, I don't know, uh, but either way, I want to tell you a story this morning. It's one of my uh, favorite stories from all of scripture. It's got all the things a good story has. It has chase scenes, it has humor, it has suspense. It's a really great story. Uh, it also, just as a warning, this is from the Bible, uh, it has bathroom humor as well. I'm just, I'm just letting you know, it's in there, it's in the Bible. I didn't put it there, God put it there. So if you're uncomfortable with it, you can talk to God about that. Um, But before I read that story, uh, I just want to kind of get us into it. This is just a standalone sermon, and I've titled the sermon, Where Do You Go? And this is the question I want to ask as we're thinking. I kind of want to wrap these two things together. Kaylee mentioned up front, we're, we're thinking about this question of, what's your anchor? Do you have an anchor? When the, when the waves and the wind get high, when the storms get heavy, what's the anchor that you turn to, that you try to hold on to to keep you rooted? Or another way to say it might be, where do you go? And the inspiration for the sermon as a whole comes from uh, a psalm, uh, Psalm 18, if you want to go there in your Bibles, written by one of Israel's uh, greatest kings, King David. And here's Psalm 18, starting in verse 1. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. These words were written by King David, and I want to tell you a story, one of actually the many stories, but one of my favorites, like I said, a story that gives us a little illustration of some of the experiences David had that led him to write these beautiful words. I mean, the the imagery is kind of incredible. Talk about depths of darkness that David is referencing, the cords of death, my destruction, the tempest. I mean, David is talking about some pretty rough stuff that must have been going on in his life. But then also some of the most beautiful and hopeful words imaginable. And sure enough, David is the king whom one of Israel's prophets referred to as a man after God's own heart. And I think we see that in the words of these psalms that David, even though he clearly has gone through some really painful trials, yet he holds on hope to his God. So what is it that leads David to write these words of such difficulty and these words of such hope? Well, I want to start the story. um, If you want to go read the whole thing, 1 Samuel chapter is about 22 to 24. I'm not going to read all of it because it's a lot of it, but I just want to set the stage. And the place that is my favorite place to start the story is in the back of a little cave out 
in the wilderness. Imagine you're out in the wilderness in ancient Israel. I don't know if you've ever been to ancient Israel or not. Maybe it's hard to imagine. But maybe you've seen pictures of modern Israel and you can, you know, sort of get it, you know, sort of make that leap. And you're in a cave. And the reason you're there is, at least if you're David, is because you are currently hiding. See, David is in the middle of the biggest, most scary chase scene in his life. He's got a few of his guys around him who have sworn to protect him, who they're on his team. This is his, this is his entourage. But he's also got, I kid you not, 3,000 soldiers from the army of Israel who are all chasing him. And when you're part of an ancient chase scene, you don't have like a helicopter or a fast car or a boat or an airplane where you can like rest while you're getting away. All you've got in ancient chase scenes is your own legs to run with. And so you have to stop and hide in the cave to rest every once in a while. If you've never hidden in a cave, you should try it. It's very pleasant. It's cool. Even in the heat of the day, caves are very nice places. And David is running away from Saul and these 3,000 soldiers because Saul, who is currently the king of Israel, and it's a little awkward because Saul's currently the king of Israel, but David has also been anointed the king of Israel, but he's not the king of Israel yet. So there's a little bit of like awkward, you know, like two of them in the same room. They're just not getting along. And on top of that, Saul is starting to go off his rocker. I mean, if you read all of 1 Samuel, Saul is a guy who's very troubled and who makes all sorts of very bad decisions. If you want a case study in bad decision-making, read the life of Saul, and you'll just get example after example of bad decision-making. Just read the life of Saul and be like, okay, I'm going to not do what that guy did, and life's going to go a lot better for me. So David's hiding in the cave, and suddenly, who walks into the cave but Saul? And the scripture tells us that Saul walked into the very cave that David was hiding from. And the reason Saul walked into this cave was in order to relieve himself. Does that mean he needs to take a nap? Or does that mean maybe this cave doubles as a bathroom for Saul in the ancient world? And sure enough, David's men see Saul in what we might call a vulnerable position. And here's what David's men say to him as they see the guy that's trying to kill David, that's the reason they're hiding in the cave. Here's what they say. Saul came to the sheep pens. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Not surprisingly, Saul's men are like, David, this is your chance. Like, he's right there. He's literally exposed and vulnerable. Just, just, you know, be done with it. Head off. You can solve all of your problems. Now, I want to pause at this point in the story because as readers, we're obviously going to ask ourselves, well, what's David going to do? I mean, Saul's right there. He's been trying to kill him. But I I want to highlight just how significant of a moment this is for ancient king David by telling you a little bit of the backstory. See, like I said, Saul was the king of Israel, but David had been anointed the king of Israel, but wasn't yet the actual king of Israel, so there was tension. And then on top of that, if you know anything about the life of David, you know that David is also really making a name for himself. I mean, the guy is just on fire. He can do no wrong. It started with the famous Israelite army being confronted by the giant Goliath 
And all the Israelite soldiers are like, I'm too scared to fight him. And David, a little boy, walks up. He's like, I got a piece of leather and five rocks. I can take him, right? Not the way I tend to think about things. And David murders, kills Goliath in open combat and bursts onto the scene. And from that point forward, David becomes an incredibly effective military leader. We uh, find out, let's see, what's my next? Yeah, we find out that, sorry, I'm reading my slides. I can't remember where I was going next. But now I remember. Don't worry, I've got it all. I haven't started sabbatical yet. I'm fully here. I'm all here right now. What's the next slide? Okay, so David, David is a military leader, and we find out that he's really, really effective. And here's what earlier in 1 Samuel we find out about David. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with timbrels and with lyres. And they danced. As they danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. So David's really successful. But there's already a little tension in the room between David and Saul. And now, when the people come out to celebrate King Saul's victories, they praise David more than they praise the king. And you might not be surprised to find out that King Saul isn't very happy about that. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. And sure enough, David's victories only continue and Saul's anger only gets worse. The story goes on. Once more, war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the lyre, and Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. So again, we started the story in a cave, but now we're going to a different place. It's the royal throne room of ancient Israel, and Saul is sitting on his throne, and he's just fuming. He's just angry. He's like, okay, David, they sing songs. They write more songs about David than they write about me. And then on top of that, David wins more battles than me, and apparently the girls think he looks better than me. And we just sort of hear Saul's whiny voice going on. And we know that Saul's been keeping an eye on him, but what does Saul try to do? Well, the other part of the backstory is David is apparently very good with the lyre. I don't know if you play a lyre like this, or I don't actually even know what it is. I think it's a stringed instrument. Is it a stringed instrument? Somebody tell me it's a stringed instrument. All right. We'll talk to the worship team about getting some lyres up on the platform soon, uh, and some timbrels, whatever those are. Um, so David is in the throne room, and he's playing music for King Saul. And we know that King Saul really likes David's music. But apparently, because Saul is so mad at him, while David is playing the music, King Saul takes a spear and throws it at David and tries to pin him against the wall. And then something, we get this really bizarre little detail. Saul was so angry that Scripture tells us that David eluded him twice. So, I mean, somehow, like, 
He's got his instrument and he's playing and Saul gets a spear and throws it and misses. But somehow Saul goes and like picks the spear back up again. And David's like running to the other side of the throne. He's like hiding behind. He's like, you can't get it. As he throws it a second time. And from that point on, the story goes that Saul basically tries to kill David again and again and again and again. And this is what leads David to be running for his life. And you can understand now why he might be hiding in a cave fearing for his life. And you can understand why David's men, those who stay faithful to him, are like, David, just kill the guy. He tried to pin you against the wall with a spear. And the world wouldn't want to lose your beautiful musical playing. And so you and I find ourselves thinking, okay, David, man, David, you're, you're in a tough spot. And I don't know, maybe, maybe some of us, actually I know some of us, I bet some of us are in a tough spot in life right now as well. Maybe not exactly the same as David. I don't, you know, I don't know if any of us hide in caves when things go rough. Maybe you do. I don't actually know of any caves to go hide in. But if, if you know one, let me know because I'd like to know about it. I feel like that'd be good information to have. And if we just, I, I just find myself reading the story and thinking about how just the, just the complexity of what David is facing right now. His friends, friends are peer pressuring, kill, them, kill the guy, but... David thinks that Saul's, knows that Saul's the king of Israel, so he respects that. And so I'm just like, what, what are you going to do, David? And here's what we find out. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. To which we all find ourselves scratching our head going, how is it that David was able to creep up so closely and literally cut off part of the robe that Saul was either wearing or it was, I mean, Saul must have been working really hard on something that he was distracted, that he didn't even notice what David was doing so that he could creep up and cut. But all David does, all he does is just cut off a corner of the robe. And I don't really know why, like, what are you going to do with a little piece of cloth? But apparently, not only was this seemingly insignificant to me that David cut it off, but it actually was seemingly very significant to David. Because after David had cut it off, and then Saul went out of the cave, and he went back down, and he's hanging out with his soldiers, and they're like, where do we go now? And they're like, all right, we're going to keep looking for David. I think he went this way. And here's what David does next. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Why did David become known as a king who was a man after God's own heart? How did David make a decision when his friends were pressuring him. It was a complicated decision. He was in really difficult circumstances. Like, like what in the world did it take for David to make this decision to have such a, a pure and clean conscience that he literally was re- remorseful to even cut off part of his robe of the man who had tried to kill him multiple times, who, has, who was chasing him with thousands of soldiers? What in the world was going on in David's heart? And as we think about this pretty significant decision that David made, saying no to friends who were pressuring him, you know, uh, keeping a cool head under pressure, it also causes me to wonder about you and me, about the things going on in our lives right now. 
Have you ever found yourself in a difficult circumstance, needing to make a difficult decision? I mean, it's hard to overestimate just how weighty the decision was that David had to make. And so I can only imagine that might be comforting to you and I, that if David was able to make that decision in that time, what would it take for you and I? Because I know that you and I have been in some difficult circumstances, and we've had some difficult decisions to make. Have you ever had friends try to influence your decisions? David was sitting there with all of his friends being like, just kill him, David. Just kill him, David. Just kill him, David. But in David's mind, in the back of his mind, he was saying, but God has told me I'm not allowed to lay my hand on his anointed king of Israel. Have you had friends try to influence your decisions for better or for worse? I mean, hopefully we've got friends that are always encouraging us to make the good and right decisions, but I know there's often people who influence us who might be encouraging us to do the wrong things. What are you? Right now, just, let's just take a second and be honest. What are the difficult circumstances or difficult decisions you're facing in your life right now? I mean, I've had conversations with some of you about some of the circumstances, about the weightiness of them, about the pain of them, about the complexity of them. Let me ask you, when you're in that situation, right, you're looking that moment, you're, you're in the back of the cave hiding with your enemy right there, and you're just like, oh, what in the world am I going to do? When you're in that moment, I wonder, where do you go? When you're in the hard moments of your life, where do you go for advice? When you're in the painful circumstances of life, where do you go for strength? When you have overwhelming situations staring down at you, where do you go to find what you need to make those hard decisions and stand up under those difficult circumstances? Now, the problem with that question is that it, the answers kind of come in two different genres. I think you might guess what, what the answer that Scripture would encourage us to be, but it also forces us to pause and go, where do I really go? I mean, maybe I know where I should go. Maybe I know where it would be good if I went there, but... Where do I actually go? Here's some of the things I thought of when I tried to think of places that maybe I've gone in the past or maybe you've gone in the past. Sometimes, sometimes I go to distraction, right? Sometimes when things get really tough, I just want to forget about it for a little while. I just want to distract myself, maybe with some form of media, maybe with some form of entertainment, maybe with something more sinister, some form of an addiction that I have, maybe with some form of an indulgence that I have, but sometimes where I go when things get tough is I go to distraction. And I just, I just want to get away from it for a little while. Maybe if I ignore it, it'll go away. Sometimes we go to self-help. I mean, our world is so in love with self-help. And don't get me wrong, I think there's some good to trying to help ourselves, to try to do things that are a help to ourselves instead of trying to hinder ourselves. But if I'm really honest, sometimes when I'm the problem that I've caused for myself, myself is not going to be much help for myself because I'm kind of the one who got me here in the first place. Sometimes we go to morality, and I'm all for morality, but sometimes we go to just pumping ourselves up and just being like, I'm going to just do everything right. I'm going to be legalistic. I'm going to be Pharisaic. I'm going to do it all right. Sometimes we try to trust in our ability to just keep doing good, but man, that would be great if we could actually keep doing it. It works right up into the point where it doesn't work much longer. Sometimes we go to, I couldn't pick one word, vanity, to our appearances, to the false self. We just think, if I can make myself look 
good enough. If I can just pretend like I've got what it takes, if I can just put on a show that makes it seem like I know what I'm doing, then maybe things will be right. Sometimes we go to the power-up. We think if I can just exert the control over my life and over my influences, and if I can control other people, then that's going to be the thing that solves my problems. But what about you? Where do you go? Be honest with yourself. Think about the last difficult circumstance you found yourself in. Maybe you find yourself in right now. Where are the places that you go to find answers to your questions, to find strength for the difficulty? If you're really honest with yourself, where do you go? Let me read again some words of David that he wrote in Psalm 18. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help, and from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. I think the reason that David was able to make such incredible decisions, both in that moment of his life, but throughout his life, is because David faithfully, time and time again, even when he messed his life up, and don't get me wrong, he messed his life up a bunch of times, even when new impossible circumstances came his way, and trust me, many new impossible circumstances came his way, even when he felt helpless and hopeless because everything was falling around him, and man did things fall around him many times, David proved that time and time and time and time again, David went to God. Which brings us, as always, to your question, if you're, or to, the, to the final question of the morning. If, if we're going to ask ourselves, where do I go, then eventually we're going to have to pause and say, what's my move and what's your move going to be? See, here's why I'm thinking about all these things. Here's why I was thinking about this story. Here's why I'm thinking, honestly, about where I go in my life in difficult circumstances. Um, tomorrow I'm going to start uh, uh, the second half of the sabbatical that you guys have generously given me. And for that, as, as I've said many times, I'm so, so grateful to that gift you've given me. Um, and the point of a sabbatical is for me to take the time to really lean in again to this very question. If God's called me to a life of ministry, which I think he has, and if God's placed me in a place of ministry, which I believe he has, and if that ministry involves some difficulty and some challenge, which unfortunately, for better or for worse, nothing against you guys, nothing against me, but, you know, relationships, like when, when, you're, when your life revolves around relationships with people, there's difficult circumstances. It's just, you know, they come up uh, somewhat inevitably. I need to stop from time to time and make sure that I am going to God in my life. As a, as a little reminder, last summer for my first half of the sabbatical, I made this little journal for myself. It's called uh, My Rule of Life. And there's this ancient practice that Christians have, have done for centuries, really, where they've created a rhythm... And they said, this is the rhythm that I'm going to make for my life to help me remember to always keep going back to God. Well, I created a rule of life for myself. I went through this journal, did a lot of prayer, a lot of discussion, a lot of reading, and I just said, you know what? I think if I could try to order my days and order my seasons in a certain way, I might be more likely to go to God more often in life. Well, this summer, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this journal and take the the, the plans that I made last summer, I'm going to look back and I'm going to say, how'd that go? I'm going to say, God, is, are the plans that I laid actually working for me? Let me ask you, 
what will you do this summer to ensure that you go to God? I'm going to be looking back over the past year, looking at this rule of life, kind of my core routines to say, this is how I want to go to God. And I'm going to be asking, what worked? What didn't? Let me give you permission. If you're trying to do something to connect yourself more regularly to God, and it feels more like a burden and more like a frustration, and, and you see absolutely no fruit, you don't find any connection, consider trying something different. Just a radical idea. Like, like sometimes we tell ourselves we have to do things, but if they're not working, do new things. There's different ways to read scripture. There's different ways to pray. There's different ways to have community. We can find new ways that actually do help us go to God. My goal, as I go back on sabbatical, as I reflect on this past year and all that I've done, my goal is to say, I am going to go to God this summer. What about you? Would you make it your hope and your purpose to look at the real circumstances of your life and to say, this summer, I am going to go to God. Even if I don't know what that means, even if I don't know whether that'll be the solution I need, even if I don't have all the answers, I know I am going to choose to go to God. And how do you do that? Well, the good news is you can do that in a nearly endless number of ways. Let me share some possibilities with you. First, we just finished a series called On Character Formation. Continue. If God spoke to you during that series, if God said maybe there's an area of character formation that he wants to work on, keep leaning into that thing that God was already doing. Here's another idea. Read scripture daily. I know that um, the middle school and high school students are going to be getting a little journal tonight at their first back porch, and they're going to have a daily scripture reading uh, plan that Nikki, our youth pastor, has written for them. I know that there's a million scripture reading plans out there. Maybe you've got a life group. Maybe you've got your friends. Consider reading scripture daily. Consider memorizing scripture. One of the other uh, psalms says, God, I have hidden your word in my heart. When we memorize scripture, it helps us to remember to go to God because his word is already There, if you don't already do this, consider praying daily. Even if it's just the first minute of your morning when you wake up, okay, maybe after you get a cup of coffee, but right after you get a cup, you know, then the first real minute of your morning, uh, you know, make that a daily time to prayer, for prayer. Practice silence. For me, recently, silence has been a powerful practice. It's a reminder that actually it's God's words that I need, not mine. Journal. Craft a rule of life. Uh, I printed some of these. I put them out on the table. If you didn't do this last summer, consider trying it out. It's a, it's a six-week journal to help you say, God, how do I get myself to go to you? If you did it last summer, pull it out and evaluate it with me. I'm going to be looking at this probably every day of the summer. Maybe you could do the same. Read a book. Create connection. Ask a friend if they go out weekly to coffee and just say, hey, how goes it with you and God? But here's my point. This is what I'm going to do this summer, and this is what I'm going to encourage you to do this summer. Make sure you do something intentional this summer so that when difficulty comes, you will go to God. Because when we ask ourselves, where do you go? Where do I go? Here's what we know. There's a lot of places you could go that are not reliable they're not firm foundations. They're not secure footing. They're not going to answer the questions you have or solve the problems you have. There's a lot of places you could go. Maybe there's even a lot of places you are going that just aren't 
working. But there is one place that you can go that you know will be the most firm foundation and the most secure anchor, the true strength that you need for any and every trouble or storm that will ever come in your life. And that is going to your creator, our God. Would you pray with me as the worship team comes back out? God, we confess that too often we go to the wrong places. Even in our hearts and in our minds right now, I bet some of us are thinking of what that looks like when we go to the wrong places, when we trust in the wrong foundations, when we hold on to the wrong anchors. We confess that it's too often, but God, we also know that you are inviting us to come to you, the God in whom we trust. God, we acknowledge that the circumstances we're in, man, they're just, they're more than we can handle right now. I've had a couple conversations even this week where people have just said, it's more than I can handle right now. Help us to find a hope not in ourselves or our ability to find answers or our ability to overcome, but our hope in you. And help us to find it right now today, but to find some way to make sure that each and every day of this summer ahead of us, we will faithfully and regularly go to you, our God. Amen.